0: Now sit back, relax, and enjoy another Rahulastapa.
1: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds
0: Hello, I'm Richard Herring. This is my Letter Square Theatre podcast. You're about to listen to the audio version of this show, but you can get the video version from www.gofasterstripe.com slash podcasts. It costs a little bit of money, but all that money will be ploughed back in to making more comedy shows. Uh, We're not part of a massive empire of business. It's just uh, us, me and Chris Evans from Go Faster Stripe and Ben Walker, a producer, just putting this up together ourselves. So if you can pay a tiny amount towards this that will help us fund future and more exciting projects, it's just £3.50 per episode or £15 for the whole series of at least seven podcasts that will be uh, including Stephen Fry from last week, Chris Addison and Russell Brand will be the guests next week. So it's well worth the money. So if you want to pay us back a little bit for these free podcasts, that would be lovely if you even just downloaded one of them. But if you don't want to, you don't think you should pay for stuff, you know, it's only the price of a coffee then go on, carry on listening for free. But if you are listening for free, it'd be terrific if you would spread the news of this podcast to your friends and let them listen in too. Thanks a lot. Hope you enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen... Oh, no, that wasn't very good. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Here's a man who can make stars open up even better than Piers Morgan. It's Richard Herring! (laughs) That's what the squares call it. Or as all the cool kids are calling it, Rahelastapa. Yes, wow, it's a pretty exciting week for the podcast last week. Well, it? it? was amazing. Did you see? Did you listen to it? See, it was uh, Stephen Fry was on. And he, the shocking admission that he'd never read The Hobbit. Oh, no, don't know, I've never... I haven't really been following the news, so I don't know if anything's... Uh, there's, there's a man here, and this nuclear physicist David, I think, is wearing an "I Love London" hat in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is a tribute to uh, an audience member from the first half last week. It's kind of been pretty extraordinary. Uh, everything that went on, getting on the news uh, all around the world. It was. I was up in Glasgow uh, and doing a radio show, and I kind of came out and sort of saw Eamon Holmes talking about me and stuff well not so much about me but it was it, well, I'd like to thank everyone who came last week who didn't uh, go and blab about it straight away you could probably have made 200 pounds selling that to the papers before it came out uh, so thank you for that and no one even tweeted about it so you're a fantastic audience thank you for that and uh, we'll see it puts a bit of pressure on though don't it what am I going to how am I going to get in the news this week I may have to kill somebody in the audience to get in get in this week we'll just have a quick uh, Chat with the, the audience because we haven't done. It. And there's a lady here, which is quite a nice, quite looks quite a nice-looking lady. Oh, there you go. That's, what's, what's your name? Rosie. 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 Yes. That's very posh. Yes, it was Rosie. Came out all Rosie. Um, what do you do for a living, Rosie? I'm a management consultant. You're a management consultant. Mr. my That's very well-spoken. It's very nice. It's just a way to uh, perv on you and just film you. <laughs> this isn't even for the show. I'm just going to take this home. <laughs> Oh, no, you've spoiled it. Oh, that's put me right off my stroke. That's a way just to make it last a bit longer. Oh! (laughs) Um, What what does it involve, management consulting? What does that involve? Not not a lot. Not a lot? (laughs) Bullshitting. (laughs) Bullshitting. So you might not even be a management consultant. You're very good at it, though, so you should be. Uh, So, come on, that was worth more than that. Uh, But uh, I was was coming back from Glasgow, uh, and... um, in the, in the airport I was looking at magazines I was looking at a magazine because I knew there was an interview with uh, Russell Brand who's going to be on the show next week it's very exciting uh, so I was looking for his the magazine that's was talking to him but then I found a magazine there in, the, in Smith's at in the airport called Railways and the Holocaust which uh, it's quite a specific Venn diagram isn't it those two are you interested in railways yeah I like railways do you like the Holocaust I like the Holocaust too we've got the magazine for you it's Railways and the whole, a very specific readership. I'm hoping they'll bring out the speedboats and the civil war in Rwanda. That is what I'm hoping for. Or tuk-tuks and the asteroid that destroyed the dinosaurs. You know, I think just two things. Even if you take it at face, I think it's like railways of the Holocaust, right? That's what, that's what they were probably aiming for with that time. But even that's quite an odd thing to do a magazine about. Specifically. Yeah, I'm not, no, I'm not interested in anything else in the Holocaust apart from the railways. I'm interested in what gauge trains took the people to the concentration camps. Who is this aimed It's an incredible... Uh, it's, it's like kind of doing a magazine based on the bike that Lee Harvey Oswald cycled to the book depository. And it's, it's, uh, it's the subtitle is The Trains That Shamed The World. Like it was the train's fault when this happened. <laughs> the trains are going, oh, I'm embarrassed. Thomas, the tank engine, presumably. I'm embarrassed about those trains. They should have have refused to take those people. So I enjoyed that. So that's a real magazine. I should have uh, bought a copy so I could have proven it to you and showed you. Uh, But that's just not the kind of guy I am. Oh, and I should remember, I just want to say thank you to Aaron Cleland, who I believe lives in Singapore, who has made a fantastically large donation to Scope. Uh, And if you do the same thing, I'll announce your name on the podcast as well. I was going to get Stephen Fry to say his name last week, which would have been much better, wouldn't it, than me just saying it now. Uh, But never mind. Look, we're going to crack straight on with the show. We've got two shows we're doing tonight. Uh, You at home will be watching. You can watch the uh, second one uh, uh, a bit later in the week, if you're getting this straight away. So uh, I'm very, very excited uh, to have this guest. She's one of my favourite people on TV. Will you please welcome a woman who has been described as the best-known classicist in the country? (laughs) given that she's the only one anyone has ever heard of. Will you please welcome Mary Beard, ladies and gentlemen? Mary, Mary Beard. Just straight in on the wine. Why not? <laughs> Don't be intimidated by my Chortle Award. Mary, that is... I can't wait for John Lloyd to see the, my two awards. He's going to be shitting himself, won't he? That is a Sony Bronze Award. I've been carrying that around my bag, the Sony Bronze Award. It's, look, it started rubbing off. Can you see that? You can see the bronze. I thought that was made of real bronze. I thought that would last forever. That's going to be all the time. You see those big holes in it? Looks useless. A load of shit in it. So uh, look, it's because um, you're, you're, you're a much more, um, we, you know, we've got an intellectual one. I don't want to, I think we should change the tone of the, of the podcast, so I've got different questions for you. We're going to go quite historical, quite intellectual. Oh, phew. Um, and uh, so my first question is: Did Julius Caesar ever try to suck his own cock? That, <laughs> so that's an interesting. It is an uh, interesting historical question. All Romans did. All Romans did. How do you know? Have you got evidence? Well,
2: it's like the way you know. I, it, <laughs> for women this is quite difficult the, the, the equivalent for a woman yes. is when they see their kid aged 18 months sucking its toe every mother in the country goes up to the bedroom, sits down and sees if they can still do it <laughs> right? and usually they can with child number one by child number two or three um, they've gone off a bit and so my fantasy is, because it's one of the ways that you can <laughs> take the Romans down a peg or two, you know, you can kind of undress them, take their togas off, is that, of course, every Roman tried to right. suck their own cock. They're always
0: talking about yeah. cock sucking all over the place. So I do expect think, they did. Do you think that's why Julius Caesar said, et tu, Brute? That's why he was going, oh, et tu, Brute? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought it was just me, but everyone's... You may be, you know, they've discovered... Julius Caesar's skeleton, you know, <laughs> all bent round and stuff. Because Richard III was a bit, wasn't it? I think Richard III might have been having a crack at it, and that was just, just as he was going. Know, I am going to be
2: a pedant yes. at this point and say Julius Caesar never said et tu,
0: Britain Shall I tell you what he said? Yeah, do tell me. I know Natalie Haynes goes on about this all the time. But I've never yeah, been she able does. To, yeah. go watch. Uh, <laughs> but she learnt it from me. <laughs> she did.
2: <laughs> Literally, uh, he says. Kai Sue Technon which is Greek for you too my child and it was always thought to be a very clever dying joke because rumours had it that Brutus was the illegitimate son of Julius Caesar so it was not just assassination it was patricide
0: wow so he's always thinking that's what I'm kind of thinking when I'm doing comedy sometimes if someone shoots yeah. me or something on stage I go now nah, that's a heckle just as I've done you kind of thinking you're prepared you're sort of prepared Caesar was prepared he had a lot why was he speaking Greek if he was Roman what was wrong with him uh, he was showing off I think. <laughs> lucky someone understood and could write it down always speaking Roman, that is my advice uh, to you, so um, I, I've been to see the uh, Pompeii exhibition at the uh, British Museum which is fantastic, yeah. it's about Herculaneum and life and death in Herculaneum and Pompeii which you are a part you are, you have uh, you're on the audio guide I'm on the audio you can guide talking you. about cocksucking oh, yeah, that's <laughs> why I thought you were a perfect guest again <laughs> now I think there's quite a few remarkable things uh, at the, uh, on the exhibitions but my favourite uh, one yeah, that I enjoyed the most was um, the picture of the one. Well, it's a sculpture of a Pan uh, having sex with a goat. That's uh, just there. You can see it. This was discovered in a garden, I think, in Pompeii or Herculaneum. The garden remember. outside Herculaneum, and it's it alone is worth going. To the, yeah, that's why right. you can it. see. I get it. You can see his actual cock right. going into the yes, goat the there. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's the goat it's Pan it was half goat so it's not as dirty as you think no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's sort of.
2: half goat shagging full goat yeah it's and
0: really it's gorgeous. quite I think it's quite tender that he's sort of holding on to the goat's beard <laughs> as he's doing and that could I mean that could be tender it could it's hard to tell because it's not moving, you know, he could be tugging it hard. That is rude. If you're gonna have sex with a goat, be tender. That's my advice. But what I enjoyed about this particularly was uh, I, I was looking, we were looking, my, my wife and I were looking around this fantastic exhibition at the same time as a school party were going around. And these, these like, basically 10 year old boys, one of them saw this and then just, he couldn't believe what he had just seen. And, like, he thought he hadn't seen it. And then he called over his friend, who then walked over and was so terrified by what he knew. He knew what he was doing. Was wrong, and he kind of was almost backing away as he was because he was, yeah, no, and all his friends were laughing at it. It was amazing. It, it's the best advert for classics that there's <laughs> been in this country. What's, what's going on with that, With it. Pan having sex with a goat in someone's garden.
3: Well, um,
2: the British Museum clearly think there is a bit wrong because they have a little health warning. Did you notice the health
0: warning which said. I could only you know, see the cock going into the, the, the <laughs> well, goat's cloak. <laughs>
2: had you looked more carefully you would have seen that there was a notice outside saying some people might find this a little upsetting you know um, and uh, uh, you know adults only and that kind of thing which yeah. draws every kid to it you know absolutely like um, you know magnet um, I think it's difficult because I think part of me wants to say look um, this jolly Will is upsetting isn't it if anybody can go into a exhibition and look at sculpture of pan shagging a goat and say oh that was you know it was all right wasn't it you know nothing nothing special there you know they're kidding themselves yes. obviously they're kidding themselves but then you look at it again and you think um, this was a really good ancient joke wasn't it you know somebody the sculptor has sat down and said right how do we imagine? We know that Pan, the the important thing about Pan in the ancient world is he'll shag anything. Mm -hmm. He'll shag slaves or trees or goats or anything. So Trees? Trees, yes. If, If all living creatures are lacking. He'll do trees, anything. That's what you know about Pan. You know, he is... Utterly voracious. So when you say, if you're this rather classy sculptor, and it is rather nice, you know, it's very elegantly done, and you can still see the bits of paint on his beard, you know, holding, you say, so how do we think Pan would have shagged a goat, right? And because we all know that, sh- you know, that goat shagging only happens from behind, you know, but what this guy has done is shown Pan shagging the goat in a missionary position.
3: <laughs> so it's
2: not just he's holding onto the beer, but the kind of little hooves are sort of, you know, <laughs> against the, you know, the front hooves against the shoulders. Yeah. And, the, and the little girl has got this great beatific smile on her face. <laughs> and you think, this is, this is something really, this is more extraordinary than what you think it is. This is, consensual bestiality (laughs) in the missionary position (laughs) done you know actually because somebody you know these Romans were clever enough to know what they were doing in this you know and this is actually it's found in the garden of a great Roman villa owned, as we know, by an Epicurean philosopher, because we found hundreds and hundreds of papyrus rolls of Epicurean philosophy. Now, Epicurean philosophy had one central question to it, which is, what is pleasure? Right? Now, at some point, there's a you know there's a really big joke here, isn't there? Because in the garden of the house of the man who's really thinking about what pleasure is, we've sort of now defined pleasure as shagging a goat in the missionary position, <laughs> um, with smiles smiles all yeah. round.
0: <laughs> Are most archaeologists kind of getting into it in the hope of finding some ancient pornography that they can? Is that is that the way? Yeah, we found another one. He's doing a goat. Someone must have posed for this. It's kind of like well, they, really, they really thought it through. No, no goats were killed in the making of this sculpture. I'm not sure about that. Well, it's very well worth going uh, having a look if you uh, if you want to see that. I've got um, last week. Uh, I, spoke, I spoke to Stephen Fry, and um, uh, I, I had questions from uh, Ben Evans, the the son of uh, Chris Evans. It's not that one. Uh, no, not the one from the Avengers. Uh, the guy who directs uh, then works for Go Faster Stripe and owns Go Faster Stripe. Uh, I should point out that Ben Evans, uh, he did ask the question that uh, got the uh, amazing response from Stephen Fry, though his whole class had put these questions together. He wanted to make it clear. Uh, now he's in the new, you've got in the paper, <laughs> in the South Wales local paper. Uh, you know, it's pointless point no one can read it, but it's, it's kind of good. <laughs> So, uh, so uh, he's, he's asked him, him and his classmates have asked some questions. Uh, Sadie Evans uh, asks, I'm guessing some kind of relation uh, to Ben Evans. Uh, what is, it might not be as well, isn't it? Uh, so there we go. Uh, what is What is? I hate you in Latin, I want to say it to my brother? <laughs> that is the question for you. Phew, I can answer that one. Yeah.
2: Usually when people say,
0: what is something in Latin,
2: you think, oh God, I can't remember the word. This is simple. Yeah. It is.
0: Tay Odi. Tay Odi. That sounds quite good. It's like like Toadie from Toadie. Neighbours. Tay <laughs> <laughs> Was they just was that just was a clever joke in Neighbours? They just hated. That. He was a hateful guy, wasn't he? Rebecca, what was his name? Jared Rebecca. <laughs> Fucking, no, how did I remember that? <laughs> I hope, I hope. Toadfish Jared I Jared Rebecca. That it. goes round South Wales and gets uh, into the paper. <laughs> Toadie. So yeah, they go. So that hasn't that hasn't seemed to got us in the papers this time (laughs) I don't know I'm guessing we'll see Uh, there are a couple more questions I'll ask Ben Ben Evans one Um, what do you think is the most innovative thing the Romans came up with or did after the the thing with the (sighs) goat
3: well
2: you can also see this in the British Museum
0: actually it's a bit more of a plug for the British Museum you oh, yeah. don't get any of the money from the British Museum, do you? Do, you get, do They let you keep some. i can <laughs> like They should like once a year. They should let everyone go around and take one thing home with them. That's what. If you're a member, you can have one thing.
2: When I was on Desert Island Discs, and I, uh, they asked what your you know luxury was going to be, yeah. I chose the old marbles.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but
2: no, I, if you really want real intriguing and pointless innovation then I think it has to go... The prize has to go to the, the Dormouse Fatner, right? Yes. Now, in the British Museum, there's this great object, great sort of pot about, well, a couple of foot high. Um, and it really is connected with the supposed Roman habit of eating Dormice as a delicacy. And what this pot is is a place for keeping them and fattening them up before they get on the table and from the outside it looks completely normal except it's got lots of little holes in it um, which is to bring the air in, see Rich's got it here you know But inside, so most people go to the exhibition they will not give this pot a second look but it really is worth it because it's got a whole load of runs around the inside and it's got two little feeding dishes at the top. And you have to imagine that, that dormites are not stupid so that without a top it would, they would have escaped. There was a little lid to go on. And the idea is that you put the dormice in there, you give them their exercise runs, and then you fill up the little food trays with... Like grapes or something or whatever ancient dormice eat, and you wait till they're fat enough to eat and what I think is great about that is it's, you know, people think about the Romans as being fantastically sensible and there's kind of bridges and costs and engineering and roads you know, actually you know, where quite a lot of that ingenuity is going is into something that's completely bonkers <laughs> as a dormouse fanner, and, you know, the idea that we can now see it in London temporarily, there's very, very few of these dormouse right. fanners survive they're very rare objects, extreme precious. <laughs> they do um, they kind of hit Roman ingenuity on the head, mm.
0: they? Ben Evans lost it, I tell you he was, he was much better. <laughs> I'm going to ask my own questions from now on. Uh, there is quite a lot of cock-based stuff, I won't go on too much about cock-based stuff but uh, my last show, Talking Cock, did reference something from, I think from Pompeii, because there's penises all over the place in Pompeii. Uh, there's, there's a thing saying, hic habitat felicitas uh, with a big penis, which means here lives happiness uh, And what's happiness? but a warm willy that's basically it's you can't it. spell happiness without penis can you that's what I say so uh, that features in my show there's, uh, there's phallus lamps there's phallus lamps that are like you can light your way with a penis and what I quite like is the phallus itself also has its own penis as well so it's, it's a phallus like and then it's got a little penis. Like that's and, how the pe- that's how phalluses were created. They're presumably some giant mucks walking its around. the tail. Well. It's got a tail as a phallus
2: as well. Right. So it's a phallus with a phallus penis and a phallus tail, and it's also got wings.
0: Yes, it has got. So wings. it can
2: fly, and it's got bells on.
0: <laughs> I'm not, this is not a joke. Why were they so obsessed? I mean, it's pathetic. Why were they so obsessed with penises? <laughs> In Rome, how do you think I would have got? I would have done. I would have yes. been the biggest star. <laughs> be like yeah, was, yes, yes. richard remember Stuart Lee, the bloke who doesn't do any jokes about penises? <laughs> and Richard Harris. Um, why, why? Why? What? What was the, all the cocks about? Because I was. I've noticed as well. The Caecilius Oh, I was uh, like with many people my age who studied Latin. Will remember Caecilius because he was in the books. Caecilius est in etc. He was a real. He was artereo. Artereo. I got 100% on my Latin exam and the only mistake I made was I'd spelt there wrong in one of the translations I put T A G I R, so I used to be very good at it but then I, then I let it go uh, but I've just noticed that the Caecilius is like a bust of his head and then it's like a big block and then there's a little willy coming out the that's block right, of stone right. like They're, a bronze willy or something
2: I mean those people who've done the Cambridge Latin course will have, like you Richard got to know Caecilius from book one and on the front cover of the Cambridge Latin course, book one, you have got a picture of this bronze bust of Caecilius. What the, what the kind of prudes the Cambridge Latin course didn't show you is what, exactly what you saw, which is what happens underneath this rather elegant bronze bust. It's got like a great marble shaft, if we can call it that, shaft, <laughs> um, with his name written on it. And the only other thing is uh, uh, some what we politely call some bronze genitalia. And it's you know for me it absolutely hits the nail on the head about the Romans being a sort of just like us and B being completely on another planet because what you've got here is the idea that if you want to sum up this actually the guy's a banker he's a Pompeian banker if you want to sum up the Pompeian banker you have this other kind of sort of ruggedly realistic face with wart. Then you have nothing else but this kind of plaque in marble. Um, and then you have his willy. And it's the idea that somehow... Uh, i, I going to have to get careful. a video this week. <laughs> you
3: know,
2: that, is, you know, that is what you are all about. And in, fact, in some ways, the Romans actually got it right, I think, yeah. in a way, for men. You We're
0: know. <laughs> obsessed with willies. I'm wondering if it's just like the bankers, maybe they screwed up as badly as they did with us and then someone just went around stating cocks all over their statues <laughs> <laughs> as a kind of statement. They've destroyed the economy.
2: So, give them a willy. No, <laughs> it I, I think I'm, af- I'm afraid it was a proud boast.
0: And they're everywhere. It's not that. Know. It's a tiny little thing. It's not that proud. It's like a little <laughs> tiny little boy's winky he's got in bronze not that probably not yeah, proud he's, he's, not, he's not using it
2: you know, <laughs> it's just is he? I
0: mean you yeah, make saying, it like a, you it, know put a big just one saying,
2: on there well, put some bells on it <laughs> The one, the one I like there's another wonderful um uh, Willie with bells on it which sadly has not come to the British Museum um but it shows you that the Romans were a bit more kind of reflective about Willie Power than we think <laughs> because what it is is a sort of pygmy um, and he's got this vast cock coming out of him and bells all over everywhere. The end of the cock is turning into a dog or <laughs> possibly a wolf and, so it, and it's turning back to you. See this is how I know they did try to do what you asked me. So it's turning back to him and in his hand he has a kind of knife and he's a, he is trying to cut it off. Yeah. Now you know, people say, you know, look, you know willies with bells on is one thing the idea of a kind of slightly hunchbacked pygmy trying to amputate his own willie which is in the process of turning into an animal yeah. is, is a stage further
3: yeah. <laughs> it's
0: like a warecock. <laughs> that's,
2: that's a great idea
0: up. and we've all worried about that right eh <laughs> You're going to, from now on, you're going to wake up and you didn't think you'd come to this podcast with Mary Beard and now be scared of your own penis consuming you, didn't you? He <laughs> will be now, look, he's worried about it,
3: look. <laughs> worried
0: he is. It's very, so I, this is a non-cock based question about Pompeii. Uh, Pompeii oh, is my... It, my, my, my <laughs> it is, really is my absolute favourite place in the world I went to it when I was 18 and I look around and I'm kind of disappointed to discover it has all been rebuilt and stuff <laughs> it, was bom- it was bombed during the war and also anyway of course it all fell down I kind of believed it was all just as it was but you know it's all showbiz uh, but <laughs> what I don't understand is how you've got like Pompeii which is a quite a big city and yet you don't really know where most Romans slept is that right? That's true. So where did they sleep? And why, how can you not know where they slept? Well,
2: sadly, they don't appear to have bedrooms. Right. Or beds, for that matter. I mean, you know, if you want to know, if you went to a modern house and you wanted to say, how many people lived here? And, you know, where did they spend the night? Um, you know, we'd know pretty roughly what the options were. I mean, they might be, you know, might be a kind of, you know a crappy student bed sit so the sofa might in some cases double for the for the bed but otherwise we'd be going upstairs and the bedrooms would be painted a different color and they'd have beds in them and you'd only be there at night um pompeii it's absolutely clear that if you're rich you know you know let's let's not forget this is in parentheses you know the poor slept anywhere they could um, but if you're rich you you don't have designated sleeping areas right you know, So you have what's called a cubiculum A cubicle But that's got a sofa in it It's got a sofa bed And it's where you do rather secret business It's where you might entertain your illicit lover in the afternoon It's where you might sleep in the evening uh, It's where you might sign your will It's a kind of private sort of space Now you go to the Pompeian furniture store, um, which there is one, in, in fact, it's a Herculaneum, a great store of, of furniture, carbonised wooden furniture. There is one wooden cradle that is in the British Museum exhibition. Um, but otherwise, there are things that you can lie down on, but you don't know if they're sort of beds. There's no double beds. Um, and... There are things that look like sofas. There are things that look like you might recline to eat on them, um, and there are things where you might have slept. But you know, part of the point is, of course, we don't. Really know this is even worse, I guess. Mostly, we don't know what happened upstairs in a Pompeian house. Mm-hmm. Now, it is it doesn't seem to be very likely that there were loads of bedrooms upstairs. That doesn't seem to be very likely, but you know, these houses, as you say, were they were destroyed by a volcano. They were bombed by the British in 1943 to smithereens. Um, over 60, probably 90 different hits on Pompeii because we thought the Germans were hiding
0: out there. Also, the ghosts of the uh, ancient Italians might come up and join. In the yeah. war effort but so that's right. they want th- to get rid of them entirely. Destroy them. That's all.
2: right. And so, you know, when people go into these houses and you still hear them say, "Guys, isn't that amazing? Even the ceilings still survive. You know, because sorry, Sunshine, um, that was Kirker 1950. Um, we can see there were upper floors because there's stairs going up and they presumably went up to something. But whether that's where a lot of the slaves slept in the attic, who knows? So, you know, I think one of, the, one of the big questions, if I, was, if I was advising someone on a new doctoral dissertation subject, you know, where did the Romans sleep, would be quite
0: a good one. Good, so you don't know the answer. <laughs> That's the only reason I got you on, because I couldn't work that out, I couldn't find out. Um, this is quite a disturbing thing, this is about Pompeii, then we'll move on from Pompeii after this. Uh, and This is about penises, but this is about a modern day penis. I said you'd be uh, but this is one of the most disturbing things that I found uh, on the Talking Cock uh, questionnaire. <laughs> that there was a man, I said, where have you put your penis for fun? Uh, and it was one of the questions on the Talking Cock questionnaire. And there was a man who obviously got off on displaying his penis in uh, various, like in, the, in churches and big cathedrals and works of art. And then the last one he said, he put his penis in the car in the uh, in the plaster-cast hand of one of the victims of... <laughs> <laughs> do, you think, do you think that's disrespectful? Because to- I should explain that they, uh, they, they know they've got all these... There were gaps in the ash, basically, when they came to excavate, and if you fill them with plaster, you find out what was there, and some of them are...
1: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. loads of bread and animals and some of them are people going ah no I'm being hit by a volcano uh, so yeah that's quite a good shape to put you out, to get your car but it isn't actually their hand their hand's disintegrated it's just the space where their hand once was I found that quite disturbing would you think that he had to move on because gone he was in an area he shouldn't have been in Has well you, you know you literally uh, and
3: uh,
0: I, does that make you look at those those because uh, that's an actual like person the place where a person died I think that's not right, is it? Has he written about it,
2: apart from on your question? Well, I don't know. He's
0: out there somewhere.
2: Because <laughs> uh, um, you know, it's, it's very interesting, and it's, but there's a long, long history to this, you know. Um, uh, particularly the ancients, Romans, Greeks, they, uh, of course, they didn't know about doing it with plaster casts of dead bodies, yeah. but um, they knew damn well that people got off on sculptures. It's right. almost the same. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful stories about the most famous sculptor of Aphrodite, uh, the whole world ever seen. Goddess of love on the island of... No, it's not an island. On the, in the town of Knidos uh, in what's now modern Turkey. Absolutely fantastic, famous sculpture of Aphrodite. And um, a guy falls in love with it absolutely falls in love with it. And so he, he manages, they lock the temple up at night and he manages to get locked in with her. Uh, and the guards go away. Um, and uh, so he does what he always wanted to do. He takes her from behind. <laughs> um, and in fact, you know he took her from behind because if you go and look, the original is, I'm afraid, sadly destroyed, not by this man. <laughs> um, but we have lots of copies of it. And um, what ancients said is that if you go and look... You could see the little stain on the marble <laughs> where he left the trace of having his wicked way with her. But.
0: And the kind of boring tool he presumably had to use <laughs> to
2: create. <them. laughs> he got his comeuppance.
0: He it. Because.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he went completely bonkers nice. once he'd done it, and he went and threw himself off a cliff. But imagine what
0: happened I'm the bloke who did that to the pan having sex with the goat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of years later, Romans were going as tourists. To the Temple of Aphrodite on cnidos are uh, going to look for that stain <laughs> where the guy had had, had
3: done his business. Wow. So you know,
2: so your guy who wants to yeah. put his cock in the hands of casts... Yeah. you know that's still worse I think, I think
0: a, a at least the statue was never actually a human being it's just a representation <laughs> well she was a
2: goddess for goodness sake well
0: if you had to have sex with a Roman god which one would you have sex
3: with
0: <laughs> it's classy isn't it it's not classy <laughs>
2: Well, I think it would all have be been pretty brutal. You know, I don't. I mean, I think you know part of the joke about putting pan in the missionary position <laughs> is that you know no no bona fide roaming god. You know, anything as wimpish as the missionary position. I think it was. You know, they were always disguised as bulls and you know, or um, showers of rain and gold. I mean, showers of gold and um, and taking innocent young ladies. So, well, I don't know. I think I'd take Pan because at least you'd know where you were with him. <laughs> you know, you
3: know, what you
2: see is what you get. That's it. you know Jupiter. Well, you wouldn't know if the you know if the bull that you were kind of charmingly stroking in the nearby field was suddenly going to whisk you away to his love nest. So you know, it's all a bit deceptive. No, I think you know Pan is straight up and down sex. Good. <laughs>
0: you might get goat involved. Right. We'll move on. We'll move on to uh, well, actually, you met the Queen this week. I did. I did meet the Queen. How did that go? Well, um, it was very
2: moving (laughs) for her. How could you tell? I don't know. Um, But it was it was very funny for me because I'm a um, you know I'm a a, a basic Republican. I was basic Republican, and I went to the opening of the BBC New HQ which looks absolutely gorgeous from the outside, absolutely gorgeous. And I thought, oh, God, I'm, you know, I got an invite. I'm marking a hell of a lot of exams this week. I'm so, you know, I'm so knackered. You know, why don't I go, right? Um, so I turned up at the BBC HQ with my little invite. Um, I hadn't thought a minute about it, really, apart from that I was going to go and there'd no doubt be, you know, a bit of a nice piss-up and, and, you know, it, it would be fun, you know, it'd be different. <laughs> Um, and I knew that something different was going to happen when as soon as I walked into the BBC door uh, a very nice girl came up and said oh Mary come to the green room and I thought why do I need to go to the green room and then she said you do know don't you that you're, you're in the lineup to meet the Queen and I thought no but I thought I better say yes because <laughs> it would look a bit silly to say no um, and, I, and then I thought God, I'm glad I didn't know because otherwise I'd have spent ages deciding what shoes to put on, and you know I'd have washed my hair and <laughs> done a lot of other things that you know even Republicans do when they meet the Queen because they suddenly get a kind of touch of nervousness. Uh, and it was great, you know. Uh, we were in a really motley crew lineup, which included me, Bruce Forsyth, <laughs> David Dimbleby, Jenny Agutter, nice. Claudia Bincoman, <laughs> and. Um, Test
0: daily, so it was the strictly <laughs> team,
2: and there was the kind of it was meant to represent um, the different faces of BBC. telly the three
0: different faces, dancing, pointy head Romans, yeah, and a mute, That's
2: right. Um, <laughs> and of course, what what really happens is that you know it's it's as I said on my blog actually, it's a bit like getting stuck in a lift. With people, you know, that although uh, you know, I, there's no other circumstance in which I would have been for almost two hours in the company of Bruce Forsyth, <laughs> um, except you know, but the, the possibility of it being a lift, and so it becomes terribly, terribly memorable. You know, it becomes really, you know, because you think this is just weird. You know, I'm supposed to be um, marking exam questions about you know Rome's battle with Carthage and here I am sitting in the bowels of the BBC with Bruce Forsyth and his and his much younger wife
3: yeah. um, <laughs>
0: and, and so you, not that much younger <laughs> alright it's not so far this is fine of the rare
2: as you can see that's the news story yes. Yes. Mary Beard accuses Bruce Forsyth <laughs> don't say um, it <laughs> Is something really funny because you're sitting there all you're doing is waiting for this charming old lady aged 87 who's probably thinking about what's happening to her poor old husband You know, to walk along and she does her bit wonderfully and uh, she holds out this glo- beautifully gloved Hand and you take it and you think I must not curtsy, you know. Don't curtsy, beard, um, you know. <laughs> otherwise, you you know, you're really letting the side down. Uh, uh, and you think you come away and all your reactions are pre-programmed. You know, all the republicanism goes out the window. And you, oh God, she was so nice. And, Didn't she look small? and All those other things that you think. So uh, it was. It it was strangely moving and it was strangely revealing of one's own hypocrisy <laughs> <laughs> and you,
0: have you got an OBE though you've got an OBE as well I've I, I have. That's learned. not very Republican, is it? That's not very Republican. <laughs> I've got, but I've got
2: another... I've got an excuse for that point, too. I've got an excuse. That good, yeah. got an excuse. I, didn't, I did actually sit and think, should I do this? You know, order the British Empire, you know. Now, I mean, it's not just Republicanism, that's kind of imperialism, yeah. too, kind of fighting here. And I said to a friend of mine, who's got something much grander than that, um, I said, look, I'm thinking of turning this down. And he said... If you can turn it down, forget about it, and never get to be the kind of person who, oh, at the end of the party, after too much Pinot Grigio, <laughs> says, well, of course, I turned an OBE down, then turn it down. But if you get a blab, accept it, because it's easier to forget about it that way.
0: Mm. Oh, not, not a good enough excuse <laughs> oh,
2: I? I would have I would have become the the refuse I mean is it even in actually refusing an OBE isn't that great is it I mean you know refusing you know something really you know f- refusing a
0: peerage you could have punched the queen in the face this week that's, that's that would have been <laughs> just going like, yes i poof <laughs>
2: and of course the same, the same I haven't gone to get it yet okay. the same thing will happen and you know I shall you know I've got the instructions and I shall put my fascinator on I've never I haven't had a fascinator before. It sounds it seems better than a hat. And I shall go part of me thinking, God, this is a load of flummery deference. Oh, I hate it. It's like watching the you know, the the BBC seven hour coronation broadcast from nineteen fifty three, you know, with them all saying these the you know, the princesses of the blood royal, etc. coming out. And you think, Oh, you know, I'm going mad to listen to this. And then you think, Oh god doesn't he look nice? And, you, know, you know, in the case of the fifty three, isn't that you know wasn't the Queen of Tonga great? And so, you know, and I think it's either hypocrisy or it's kind of honesty on yeah. my part. And I it like is. to think of it as honesty. Well, I can't tell you
0: whether I've been offered one or not, uh, because...
2: Uh... <laughs> After I've said that, you certainly
0: Yeah, did. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't think it's unlikely Especially <laughs> now I've just said i would punch the queen in the face <laughs> the, Alex, the Alex had it boom hey <laughs> um, look if they can offer one to me mate <laughs> they <could> offer <laughs> one to you even one to Jonathan Ross he was the first OBE we had on I can believe they gave it off Jonathan Ross if Jonathan Ross can get one there anybody what's the point so I want to talk to you a bit about uh, all the kind of furore about you daring to go on TV <laughs> Uh, looking like I, you look. That's a, a, a t- bus, terrible, yeah. daring <laughs> yeah. thing. Well, it kind of is. It's all sort of unbelievable, actually. I, I'm very cross about uh, everything that happened. It sort of started with anus, asshole, gill. as I call. That's what the AA stands for. The gill stands for Gash Intercourse Labia Lavatory.
3: <laughs> Who,
0: I think, was critical of the idea that anyone could go on TV with grey hair or not, have, they have to look in a certain way. Now, what makes me very angry about it is that, like, in the 1970s, uh, you know, everywhere. if you go back and look at programmes there, they had the most freakish-looking people you've ever seen, just ridiculous and a barely human being. All there being academics and you know really strange guys on, and if. Someone came on TV to present like a serious program, and they were good looking. Everyone would laugh, going, "This is pathetic." They've just put a pretty person who doesn't know what they're doing in order to, you know, like a model-looking person to do this, and that would be the joke. And it's turned around so to such an extent that an expert on a subject can't go on TV without being criticised for for the way they that they choose to look, which is kind of outrageous.
2: No, it was extraordinary. Yeah. and you know, I, I was actually giving a lecture in America when this came when this review of Gil came out, and you know. I, you know, Gill got form where I was concerned, so I knew it was going to be hostile. And I remember sitting in the hotel room, waiting, waiting to be able to get it online. And when it said she looks as if she should be on the undateables, I thought, Christ!
0: He's a very good-looking man, though. Yeah, I have to say, for he sets the standard very high on good looks, so it's, no, you know right. it's fair enough.
2: It's that sort of. Um, kind of orange skin that he has. Yeah. That is so, I mean, I should—I so should
0: really not be arguing against this because obviously it's in my interest that extremely good-looking people get to go on TV. Right?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I am too good-looking to go on TV, so least I'm, I'm, I'm too sexy to go. On TV. Well, but, thought, uh, I when he shot a AA you know. yeah. guilt to find out what it feels like to kill a man. Yes, Which did. is kind of weird on two levels because a you're killing a, a primate, not a man anyway, and b why do you want to find out? It's like Nick, when Nick Ross says, "Yeah, would well, yeah, if Someone showed me some child pornography, I'd have a look just to see what all the fuss was about." That's what he says. The same thing as that. Like, yeah, I'd love to know what it's like to kill a human being. I imagine it's pretty horrible. So he's a, he's a yeah. horrible man. But we all you'd could expect better. Put him with
2: Pan and the Goat, really. <laughs> <I> think, <laughs>
0: anyway. You'd expect better of a. Of, I'm a journalist, but a few journalists joined on that kind of bandwagon, and then you got into when you're on Question Time. There was a lot of you googled yeah. yourself, presumably, yeah, to find this. Yeah. yeah, there's two stages to this. First of all, you know,
2: Gill actually gets. I was quite encouraged because um, most of the country, or at least the country that kind of put its head above the parapet, um, said Gill was absolutely bloody stupid. And I thought it was it was really great. There was a little article in the Daily Mail, and I thought the Daily Mail might have really come out the other way. Uh, but you know, for once, under the line on the internet version, there were loads of people saying how stupid we want to see people like Beard on the telly. You know, they you know God knows what they think of my political views, but it, as far as I looked, it was fine And I thought, well, look, what's going on here is actually most of these readers look like me, you know, and most women of 58 without a lot of treatment look more or less like me and most women over the age of 50 have grey hair get it, you know, and that's uh, and that seemed, you know that seemed quite good and everything went quiet for a bit and then there was you know, you, you reach after the question time appearance there was this kind of Great, a uh, great leap forward in misogynistic terms. Because you know, in the end, I now look at Gil and I think he's a sort of silly boy. And you know, I'd like to take him out to lunch and and put him right and smack his bottom and <laughs> say,
1: oh, "Look, you know,
2: just just think, you know, just what does David Starkey look like, you know, and why why does that not matter?" Um, but at least, and I, I think, well, look, Gil, silly boy, he signs the articles, you know who he is. If you want to go round and say, look, mate, you shouldn't do that, you know where he lives. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know
0: where he lives, Barry's found out, though, I'd be terrified to be A.A. Gil.
2: <laughs> when you get to mad internet trolling, yeah. you get to a whole, you know, it's, a, it's 50 steps, beyond Gill in terms of you know, extraordinary misogyny. And I think what was very odd about the Question Time backlash was quite how difficult it is to get across to people what these internet trollers, against me and against a lot of other people on the site, or don't start me off, what they were actually saying. Because you can't go on the BBC and say what they said. Yeah. So you have to say, you know, things terribly periphrastic things like, you know, um, he, he talked a, about the size of my private parts, you know, and actually is saying, you know, you've got a come the size of a marrow or whatever. You know. now, if you try to do that even on Woman's hour, they say,
3: they say, well, do you think we could
2: put it slightly differently? And. And If I hadn't had my own blog, I couldn't even have got it into a newspaper. Luckily, um, I have a blog on the Times Literary Supplement site, which nobody really monitors. So they didn't (laughs) notice that I put on it uh, a picture from this website of my face with labia superimposed. Um, because, you know, I've got a very sort of modest little blog which talks usually about classical things and, you know, Don's life. And, you know, they're not looking for kind of nasty bits of porn on it. And, and, and loads of people went to it and they saw the kind of stuff yeah. that this is. And and I suddenly realised that, you know, I, you know, I'm not a great sort of admirer of Louise Mensch, but, but when she started moaning about what she got on the web... I had found myself thinking, oh, God, look, darling, you know, if you you, know, if you put yourself about and you look like that, then you've got to take the rough with the smooth. Yeah. And now I see that what what Mench was presumably getting was much the same kind of really, you know, vile stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was, in a, in a funny way, it was terribly easy to combat it because it was so... Obvious what you should do. I mean, there were some people, and there still are people, who say, Look, if you get really, really, really attacked on the internet, um, then just shut the fuck up, basically, because it will only draw attention to it if you open your mouth. But I think, you know, women have been told to shut the fuck up about what people say <laughs> of them, you know, for thousands of years. And it was just so easy to say, and it and in some ways easier if you're my age than if you're 25 because you know some young women are getting this, a lot of young women are getting this too, to say look you know, can we please just hang on a minute and can somebody explain to me why the putative size of my vagina might have anything whatsoever to do with my views on immigration
3: <laughs> it
2: just doesn't no, well, it's it's, you know, it's yeah, it's a no-brainer.
0: No, well, I think I might, you know, I, I think at the time I was on Twitter with the internet, I, thought, I was admiring what you're doing, but I was thinking, God, this could really, you know, I was one of those people thinking, this could just be terrible, maybe you should just, you shut up about it. But then actually it was kind of amazing, because you push, and I'm very, I, I always kind of try and rile these people a bit more myself, but I never get anything, I never get anything as bad as that. But it was incredible that he, he did create enough of a, have, have fussed to get the site shut down, yeah. and uh, you know that doesn't stop the problem. Obviously, uh, in the long term, but it's kind of it is an amazing thing. It did; it was a very important thing to do. And I, and I think it's the same. You know, in the nineteen seventies, people were allowed to be racist, and would have died. if they'd had the internet. There would have been awful, awful racial things put up that people wouldn't accept now. So it's uh, it, you know it, it is a very important battle to fight. So it's kind of amazing uh, that you you achieved managed to defeat those awful. Idiots, but there we
2: go. That's... I got a. I also got a long letter of apology from the guy who ran the site. How did you? Um, well, you know how sincere I don't know, but yeah, it um, it made me feel it was it was good for me because um, you know I don't mind talking about it now, but it did start, you know it being the sort of poster girl of troll victims over fifty <laughs> got to be a bit time consuming for a while <laughs> um, and. Actually, not just the site coming down, but also the apology saying "I am sorry, this was unacceptable." Yeah, it um, allowed me to say to people, "Okay, that, you know, we're moving on now, folks," sure. um, and to kind of claim some sort of oh, I'm going to say the word closure. But you know, <laughs> I, I just you know, I could have gone on talking about trolling for the rest of my life. Um, and you know how I beat them, and, and it was it was good to being given uh, you know, by as I say I don't know if it's a sincere letter or not, um, but a way out of that. And so now when I talk about it, it's in the you know it's not me now. It's in the past. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm sure there are people. You know, saying completely ghastly things about me on the web. And, you know, people are going to say ghastly things about people on the web, and as long as they've got the grace in the end to apologise.
0: <laughs> you know,
2: maybe that's, you know, I've said stupid things on Twitter. You know, I, I've
0: never done that. Not, not like <laughs> you. Not like <laughs> you. You
2: know, and you just got to learn to say, um, sorry, chaps, that wasn't, I shouldn't have said that.
0: Well, freedom of speech is all. Good and well and good, but you know sometimes you just have to think about whether something's worth saying. (laughs) Just because you're allowed to say it doesn't mean you should. But let's move on and ask a very important question that I mustn't let you go without answering. If you had to choose between having a hand made out of ham... I've read about this question. You should be very well prepared. I should have prepared Uh, the uh, answer. I
2: didn't think you'd be so predictable as
3: to. You don't know me very well.
0: I'm going to throw in a curve, or well, I'm not. Uh, it's an important question. It's a perfect question. I tried to mess around with it. You can't mess around with it. You've either got a hand made out of or an armpit that dispenses sun cream. Enough sun cream to cater for you and maybe one member of your family. <laughs> fraternity. fraternity? No, for the year. Well, yeah, with fraternity, for the year. So you get through a year and then there would be another supply the next year. But you couldn't go, you know, opening up a sun cream factory. And just filling up bottles so the hand, you can eat the hand ham but the hand of ham but uh, it'll grow back but it'll take about a month if you ate the whole thing so it's like a snack but you can nibble at it just nibble a bit of it and then it will grow back reasonably quickly which of those two things would you prefer the classicist Mary Beard
3: <laughs> well, as, a, as a classicist
2: yeah. um, it's obviously a professional answer <laughs> um, uh, uh, we classicists have partly become classicists because, unless we are so unfortunate as to work on Roman Britain or Roman Germany, yeah. it does tend to take us to sunny Mediterranean ah, climes,
0: course, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so the ham hand, you have got the ham hand <laughs> <laughs> chew on, chew on while it was sunny.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, that. No, sorry, carry on.
2: So. <laughs> So I think we'll take the sun cream. Yeah. Uh, as, uh, it's also it's two things. It's it, For me, it signals work. Yeah, it signals tramping around the yeah. ruins of Pompeii, getting a bit hot, you know, and, and then looking at yourself in the mirror and thinking, God, I wish I had a bit of sunscreen. It would have been a bit better. <laughs> uh, but it also is a kind of it's an image of something that I never do but I always kind of like close my eyes and I think of my dream holiday. And my dream holiday is nowhere near a sodding ruin I have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? My dream holiday is a lovely swimming pool in a discreetly upmarket hotel, very discreet, um, uh, with a uh, the um, Camparis, or the Negronis, <laughs> at hand, mm-hmm. and the Blissful Sun. Now, i never do this, oh, but somehow somehow the, the sun cream would kind of make that seem a more urgent possibility. We're, also, if you are doing
0: archaeology and stuff with a ham hand, it would get all dirt and stuff on it. Coprolites should get on it, wouldn't you? That Cop- would be oh, nice. Oh, worse than coprolites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> coprolites. There are, like, as archaeologists well. who just... Study ancient shit. Yeah, just yes, <laughs> coprolite analysts. Yes.
2: In fact, one of the, the biggest advances recently in the study of Herculaneum has been the intimate analysis of the contents of a Herculaneum sewer. Mm. I mean, look quite literally, not just a sewer, not a kind of you know dirty rainwater, but the um, effluent from a multi-story block loose coming down over about, no doubt, 10 years. Mm. From which, let me tell you, Mm. we can 100% certainly say that although everybody always says that the Romans wiped their bums with sponges on sticks, uh, in the sewer there is no sign of sponge. Mm. Um, There is lots and lots of rag bits. So I think we have to assume that the Romans... Sometimes use sponges on sticks, but Maybe, they just, kept the
0: Maybe they just kept it by the toilet, rinsed, out in the, <laughs> rinsed in the, it out in the bowl, and then just reused yeah, but, it again. Oh, but
2: some bit of sponge would have gone down the
0: loo, wouldn't it? <laughs> Especially yes. natural sponge,
2: I could say.
0: And there's another important emergency question. I think you might, because you, you because you, know, you are hanging around in spooky places a lot. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen a ghost? Have you been? <laughs> In, well, anywhere, but I, you know... Have you? No, because they don't exist. But have you... Have you? And that's not the question, is it? It's have you ever seen a ghost?
2: I asked my son what to say to that question. <laughs> and I've just given the answer. Have you? Know. <laughs> have you when, you? when you've seen a ghost, mate, I'll come and tell you about mine.
0: All right. Have you ever seen a Bigfoot? When you've been around... <laughs> <laughs> this is the emergency Can I ask everyone yeah, this it's an emergency question there's no need you know but I just thought what if you that? had that might get us in the papers if, you mean, again? If I it's only right? getting... really on the news again if
2: I were to say yes would that get in the news uh, if you definitely <laughs> had
0: any photographic evidence uh, yeah. well you like, never do do you it may be you in never... Pompeii was there, is there any large footprints in Pompeii oh. that could have been a Sasquatch of some kind well. <laughs>
2: There always, there, there always is. There always
0: is. But you'd have to be barking to believe it. There always is. Right. Well, I think we are nearly at the end of our fantastic <laughs> oh, conversation. <no. laughs> uh, what have you got? Co- what, have you, what have you got coming up? You've got doing another book. Um, I am doing a book. Well, I've just about finished a book on Roman laughter. Wow. What's the best Roman joke that you know?
2: This is going to be deeply disappointing. It's got to be really good because we're
0: closing now, so this has I got to will, be something they make. It's got to be bigger I than the thing you're about to say. I'll
2: tell day. you one Roman joke which is yeah. not bad. right? Okay. It's um, uh, a man uh, goes and it was going to buy some honey. He sees a man selling honey in the market and he goes over and says, Oh, that looks like good honey. Can I, um, can I taste it? And the guy says, Oh, yes. he's... God, that's really good, honey. I'll take that. And the guy who's selling it says, "Well, it is really good, honey. It tastes good, and I I wouldn't be selling it if that mouse hadn't gone and died in it."
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tough crowd. Thank you. you You've been listening to Richard Herring's Let's Go Theatre Podcast with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Mary Beard. The music was by Pest, thanks to Orange Mark and everyone at the British Comedy Guide, and to Chris Evans, not that one, and everyone from GoFasterStripe.com. It was produced by Ben Walker. It is a Fuzz and Sky Potato production and Go Faster Stripe production for the internet. How do you like them Sky Potatoes? Not very much. Thanks for listening to Richard Tang's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. This is an independent production. We're not making any money from any broadcaster or big business. Uh, so we are relying on you slightly to help us with future endeavours. So if you've enjoyed this and want to contribute, you can go and buy the video uh, versions at com slash podcasts. You can get the whole series for £15 or an individual episode for just £3.50. If everyone who listened just bought one episode, uh, we'd certainly be able to do some very exciting comedy projects in the future. That money will go back into other ideas we've got and keep the Leicester Square Theatre podcasts going. If you don't want to do that, you could always go to gofasterstripe.com and buy one of my DVDs or books, or buy a ticket to see my show, uh, We're All Going to Die, which is going to be at the Edinburgh Fringe at the Pleasance Beyond, uh, all the way through August, or Richard Tannehill's Edinburgh Fringe podcast, which is a very similar thing, uh, but daily at The Stand at 2.10 in the afternoon. Uh, you can support us just by telling your friends about this podcast or uh, any of Ben, the producer's other podcasts, Do the Right Thing. Pappy's flat share, down both very well worth a listen. That's another way to spread the love if you can't afford to pay any money for it. But uh, it'd be lovely if you wanted to. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.
2: Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. No, this isn't a podcast about milk. If you like historical intrigue, a bit of culture, and a sprinkling of controversy, this one's for you. I'm Rachel Stewart, and I'm travelling around Europe. Following the hidden history of everyday things as they're exported through time and around the world, by force, by chance, or by choice. No need to pack your bags. Just subscribe to Don't Drink the Milk wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.
0: Thank you very much for listening to my podcasts. Listen to some more. Tell your friends about these podcasts. We're in a very competitive market and it would be lovely to keep those downloads coming in. The more downloads we get, the more money we make, and the more podcasts we can make for you. It's a beautiful, symbiotic relationship. Come and see me on tour at richardherring.com. Uh, but otherwise, just, you know, go outside. Enjoy the spring air. It's beautiful out there. I love you all. Goodbye.